Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you I do not know, my name is Mike. It's an honor to welcome you here to North Stars. We begin a brand new series on Fruit of the Spirit. When this was planned a couple months ago, little did we know how bad we'd be needing people in this world to live out what Paul wrote to this church so long ago. You know, we talked about soul care. When our heart, when our will, our mind, our body, and emotions are in line with the Lord, we we begin to do a word, it's called abide in him. And when we do that, we begin as believers to produce out fruit in our lives. Paul said it this way, the church of Galatia, but the fruit of the spirit is this love, joy, peace, patience. And he goes, today we're going to talk about love. So it's good to know it, but what's it look like to live it? Jesus told us a story. If you've got your Bibles today, I want you to turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10. Jesus told us a story of what love looks like lived out. To know it here, not live it here, is a huge swing and miss. If we ever remember what baseball looked like to be played, you'd remember what a swing and a miss is. The ball's here, the bat's here, it's a swing and a miss. His goal for the listeners of that day and the listeners of today is that the ball meets the bat and we get it. We understand what love looks like lived out. Luke chapter 10, I want you to join me and let's start reading uh, verse number 25. I love this story because Jesus is answering a question but by answering a question and telling a story, he makes us have to deal with the story. Look, look, look with me. And, and so hopefully you've got out your app today, North Star Church, Georgia, if you never downloaded it, that's the best way to follow along because all the notes are right there. If you're on your laptop, notes are on the side. But I want to make sure you're reading the story with me today. So Luke 10, verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to make sure that I get to live forever? He said to him, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the, and the man answered, he said, you shall love that word. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. He was familiar with that what was written in, in the book of Deuteronomy that we know now as Deuteronomy is the, the law of Moses at the time. Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. But this is where the story gets interesting, but desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, well then who is my neighbor? That's a question, isn't it? Question is it, um, what does exactly love look like? So if I'm gonna live out love, well then who's my neighbor? In your view, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells him a story that was a hot button story for that day. He said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, long stretch of highway, not a great place of town. And he fell among robbers who stripped him, they beat him, they departed, and they left him half dead. So this guy who was on a journey got, got beat up pretty bad and left on the side of the road now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So you're going to hear the word saw said three different ways. The priest who knew what to do saw him, passed by on the other side. 
So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He saw him, but a Samaritan. See, Jesus threw the whole story when he threw in the Samaritan because Samaritans for Jews, it was not a good conversation. They didn't like Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They didn't fit in with Jewish culture. And Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw him, not with these eyes, but with these eyes, he had, I want you to look at the word, compassion. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Then he said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Jesus told the story because he knew they needed to hear this story. He told this story because he knew we needed to hear this story. Would you pray with me? Father, as relevant as the story was 2,000 years ago, when it left your lips, God, may it be more relevant today. May each of us ask who is our neighbor and how do we love Father, do your work this morning. Do your thing in our midst. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You got your, your notes out. Hopefully you've got those out to write in, to type in. I want you to write down a couple thoughts. Number one, we learned this about love. Love always breaks through barriers. Great part of the story was this barrier between the Samaritan and the man laid on the side of the road. Love won. It broke through the barriers. Everybody knew how they felt about the Samaritans. And yet Jesus makes the Samaritan the, the goat. He's the guy. He's the, he's the one that, that does what nobody else did. He, he stopped. He may not have had all the resources the priest or Levite did, but he had the heart. We live in a world full of barriers, don't we? There's racial barriers. There's political barriers. There's... there's uh, there's class barriers, social economic barriers. See, love always breaks through barriers. Number two, we learn love always gives without hesitation. The Samaritan didn't even pause to think. He just stopped and he did. What, what I love about the story is it literally is a picture. He had to tear his own robes to bandage up this guy's wounds. Isn't that crazy? He had to tear what was on him to take care of one he probably didn't run in the same group with. But that's what love does, isn't it? And number three, love always goes the extra mile. Love always goes the extra mile. He, he put him on his donkey and he took him to the inn. He paid his wage and paid his fare and said, if there's any more expenses, put on me. See, love always costs something. Love always means something. We can't, we can't just say, I love. Love means we've got to do. I believe as relevant as this story was 2,000 years ago, I think it's even bigger today. So today I've asked three, I call them friends. 
They're great friends of mine to join me on the stage to talk about how this story is playing out in our story as we live this out in our culture. How is what Jesus said 2,000 years ago relevant to our lives? And how in the world do we learn to live out what he told that lawyer to do? Well, the hardest part of today already has been, I want to hug each of these guys when they come up, but I don't want any of your letters going, why did you hug? We're under a, we're under a mandate right now. You can't hug. So I, I apologize in advance for that. But I, these, are, these are friends from North Star, but they're friends way past North Star. Xavier Smith, introduce yourself. Tell everybody who you are and what you do. I'm Xavier Smith. I'm a football coach at Alatona High School, the defensive coordinator. Been teaching for 27 years, 28 years now, and uh, been attending here for seven years, and I've known you for seven years, and um, thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you, Coach. Ernest Davis, entrepreneur, been going to North Star for 10 years, place I consider to be home, and uh, I'm happy that you've called us to have this very needed and necessary conversation. Thank you, buddy. My name's Larry Graves. I've known Mike since I was a baby in my mom's arms. He was a babysitter. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I've known, I've known Mike for a long time. I moved here in 96 and been part of North Star off and on since then. And I uh, worked for Regal Theater Church, helped put churches in theaters, got four little babies. I'm glad, I'm glad you're having this conversation, Mike. Larry, you made a comment to me on the phone the other day that I think sets up today really well. You said this isn't a theology issue. It's a neighborology issue. Speak to that real quick. Yeah, I, I think uh, as the church and part of even why we have this conversation, there's plenty of places to have a political and a racial conversation. Part of the, the responsibility of us as a body is like, what does God say about this? And if you ask Jesus, what do you say about, you know, slowly watching black people die on TV or whatever else? He would say, who's my neighbor? Mm. That's where we start. We start with our theology. Who does God say people are? We're created in his image. That's where we start. Is there a creator God, which is where this conversation starts, in my opinion. There's a creator God who made everybody with what we call equality of essence. Because we have God's image in us, we are equal and have worth and value. We start there, then it determines how I treat you based on that. You, you made a comment to me, and I thought it was so right on. God put this one on a tee for us. We didn't know three months ago when this sermon series, we knew we were doing it. We didn't know how relevant today's message would be to where we're living. When I called each of you, this, so we knew we were doing the sermon. This call went out on Thursday. I'm standing in my yard Thursday afternoon. I'd wrestled with it all day. I hate doing things last minute, but I couldn't get away from it. When I called you and, and you heard my voice and I ask you to be here today. What went through y'all's minds? Um, for me, um, like I've been praying for this for about three weeks now, and I've been trying to search of what is my response to this? Where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to help? Uh, and not let this just be passed over and cry and, and complain, but what am I going to do? So God answered a prayer for me, and I, I was just I was amazed that God uh, had already had this plan. He was already working on you. So when I heard your voice, I was like, uh, I, yes, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. Let's talk about it. So I was just very, very grateful. And that's why North Star is the greatest church. Thank you, Coach. When I got the call, I was um, a little shocked because God was kind of preparing my heart to get ready. I was like, well, get ready for what? <laughs> and then you called. And I was like, wow. 
um, God, I'm honored because obviously there's a word that you have to say and you've chosen me as a vessel to say it. Um, so it's a sense of heaviness and a sense of lightness of knowing that uh, God asked me to be here and he, and he did that through you. So thank you. Amen. I think when you call me my, I had a, I had a gratitude that you were going to say something. I've known you, what we figured, 20-something, whatever years. I know your heart. I know where you are. I know you've been there for me whenever, like you, I know who you are. But I feel like our church doesn't know where, how you feel about this. And I just thought, a little bit was like, finally, man, he's going to say something. Black people need to hear what you have to say. White people need to hear. You, like, we need a spiritual leader to help us navigate this. Mm. What have y'all felt these past few weeks? You know, I, I watch the news with my set of lenses that I was raised with, right? Um, I, I see what's going on in our world, but I have my life that I've grown up with. I, y'all don't, may not know this. I'm white, all right? And so those are the lenses that I've... <laughs> Very. I, know, I, I do get a good tan in the summer. Um, <laughs> as you guys have watched this play out, what have you been feeling? What would you say? Um, anger, uh, hurt, uh, disgrace, uh, just, you know, really my soul has been torn and my heart has been broken. And, you know, I have two little boys that, that are, uh, growing up in this world and, and one of them is about to start driving and go to high school. And I've always felt, had that feeling of what happens if he gets pulled over? What if he does the wrong thing? What if he moves the wrong way? What if he speaks the wrong way? What will happen to him? Because I want him to come back home to me at night. Um, I feel like you don't have to worry about that as a white man. You know that your child, if he gets pulled over, he's going to be safe. But mine, it, it, his life could be ended over him saying something or doing something stupid just because he's a teenager. That's, you know, and that's what they do. They're going to be stupid. So um, that's been my fear and my biggest worry. And I haven't worried about myself. It's been for my kids. Mm. And, uh, and not only mine, but for all of my friends that have high school kids and, and young men because Satan is un, uh, attacking our, our black youth. So, mm. Mike, I hope I can be transparent here, but um, <laughs> it's heavy because this is a difficult conversation to have. There are people that are watching now that are cringing because it's very difficult. Um, my heart's heavy because the truth of the matter is, is that the American soil soaks in the blood of black people who died needlessly because of the color of their skin. I'm from Mississippi, so I lived watching, seeing some of this, um, hearing stories of this, and I'm reminded of, it's the same state that Emmett Till, a young black boy at the age of 14 who was lynched and body was mutilated because he allegedly flirted with a white woman. And his body was on display in a casket. And that's when America saw it. Not when he was lynched. America saw it when the body was on display. We fast forward to now. And because of cameras, it's on display. And it makes me, it reminds me that there's still this treacherous cultural disease that plagues America. Kind of like COVID-19 now. We're all trying to search through how to deal with this. In its similar ways, it's a disease that plagues this nation, and we have to find a way to solve it. Mm. There's a um, popular, I think, Will Smith quote going around social media right now that says, 
racism isn't getting worse. It's just being filmed. And there was a part of me that's kind of been like, I told you, like, we've been trying to tell you, like, it's going on. And it, it, it's reminiscent of the 60s, I think, when, when people actually saw black people being attacked by dogs and watered down with hoses, and you actually saw it in front of your face, and all of a sudden, it, you couldn't disconnect from it. Like, man, it's, you started to see, these are people who shouldn't be treated that way. And I feel like that's kind of what's happened with the news recently. So there's that, like, this isn't new. It's just it's being recorded. If it hadn't been recorded, then it would have been explained away. And then there's just a nauseousness, honestly. I can only handle so much of it on social media. And I just, yesterday, going to play ball with my boy. Like, that's what I needed. Mm. You know, it's funny. I've been friends with you. you got 20 years. Gosh, since you've been at Alatoona, ever how long that's been? Mr. Ernest, 10 years. I've never had this conversation with any of you. I think, Larry, we may have brushed by it once. Why do you think it's so hard to talk about? Why do you think that just walking into it going, how do you feel? Why do you think that's so hard? What would y'all say? Because it's not like y'all brought it up with me either, going, hey, Mike, I want to talk about it. We've talked about everything else under the sun. Why do you think it's such a hard subject to talk about? I think because when you talk about it, then it bears the responsibility of doing something about Mm. it. So sometimes the easiest person to look at is the person that's not yourself. Because once you see yourself, you own responsibility of changing yourself. And it's difficult to have a conversation that you know you bear some responsibility in because the responsibility that God causes believers to do is you have to be the love. Love is something that you walk out. And injustice for one person is injustice to us all. Mm. So if I want to live a convenient life and a life that doesn't get in the way, then it's just much easier to not talk about it. Pray about it. Yeah. Right? And ask God to deal with it. But God, by all means, please don't ask me to do anything about it. And I think God is tired of the church hiding behind God. Mm. God is saying, no, I put you there to do something about it. And the church has been silent for way too long. Mm. I think sometimes, Mike, it's because we, we just want to get along. We don't, wanna, we don't want people not to like us. I want you to like me. I don't want to come across as too extreme this way or that way. And so sometimes we avoid hard conversations. You know, growing up as like, you know, a lot of times the only black kid in a white classroom or one of a handful, like you don't want to be too radical because then you're whatever. You don't want to be too this or, you know, you don't want to run people away. And so we avoid some of those difficult conversations just because we want to be liked and get along with people. Mm. You know, why, why talk about something negative? Let's be happy and positive. Mm. And it hurts, you know, it hurts to have this conversation. I mean, there's pain. I think, you know, when you called me, you know, I started crying because it, it, it tears your soul, it rips your soul, and, and you don't want that to come out, and you don't want people to see that part of you and to see how badly you're hurting. And, and then also, you know, a lot of times it could be financial implications if you sp- say this or speak out, and, you know, that's why I commend you on you speaking out and, and uh, making this a topic today and, and not being afraid and not hiding from it. Because the bottom line is we're, if we say we're Christian men, then we're supposed to love and support one another and help us through these difficult times. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so once again, thank you. Thank you. You know, I think a lot of times, and I, I can only speak for me, I think there's things that happen and you see them and you don't know what to say. 
and therefore you don't say anything. So I, I see it, and I go, God, how do I even put words to that? You know, if I run into Larry, am I going to just bring it up? I, and so I don't say anything. How is it perceived by you as a man, as a leader, when I'll, I'll just take me, not take everybody else, take me, when I say nothing and you just don't hear anything, how is that perceived? Um, I was hurt, um, deeply hurt. I've been praying for three weeks about it once again, about our spiritual leaders stepping up and saying something. Uh, and I consider you a friend, I love you, and I consider you a spiritual leader that's been in my life. So when you didn't speak up, or I saw it and didn't see anything on Twitter or, or Facebook that I was, I was hurt. And um, not just by you, but by a lot of people. And then God kind of showed me that, man, I got this. I'm going to take care of this. And I noticed that every day someone else started speaking up and it, it continued to flow. And we need it. We need white men in power to speak up and say, this is not allowed. This is not acceptable. This is wrong. And not only to speak up, but to, to, to put their, their money behind helping this injustice. And so... That's how I felt in the beginning, but God showed me he was already working it out. And that's, that's the power of God. And that's what's so awesome that he knew that he needed to work on you to push you to get out your comfort zone to speak about this. And very, very happy and thankful. Thank you. Somewhere I read um, that silence is implied consent. I know your heart. I knew that with the challenges that this country faces, there has to be a word from the Lord. Mm. And why isn't that word coming from the place that is the author and the finisher of our faith? Mm. So I'm glad that you stood out. Because this is difficult for you, right? I know this is not popular. This is not popular. There are some people that are wondering right now, why is he having this conversation? Why should we? So I thank you for it, and I'm glad you broke the silence, and I hope that other churches do the same. Mm. Mike, I don't expect you to address every issue that comes up. Like, that's not who we are as a church. That's not who you are. I don't expect, I don't think preachers should chase every issue. At the same time, every time one of these kind of incidents happen, there's a part of me that's like, man, I kind of hope he at least prays or, or says something. And I think a little bit. So there's, I don't know if disappointment is the right word sometimes, but man, I kind of just a hopeful, like I know your heart. I just, I want everyone else to know your heart. I want you to lead us in that. I think a little bit of the irony, you know, I think this conversation in the church should be driven by the word of God. Like we don't, this text, like you would have to ignore <laughs> in a really bad way what happened in Minneapolis to preach Luke chapter 10. The irony to answer your question is when Jesus tells a story, he starts with a priest. And the priest said nothing and he did nothing. I think it's part of the challenge of the text. He's like, you, that's your neighbor. It's a random guy you don't even like laying in a ditch. You have a responsibility. We all do. Like, if that's our neighbor. We've all seen it. We're all accountable now because we've all seen it. Biblically, we're accountable. Not because you're black or white, because you're Christian. That's where I was Thursday. Um, sort of a crazy chain of events. And I've told you guys of the chain of events that from a phone call to an email to a sitting down in the text to go in. I'm just going to be honest, and I didn't share this when we did our rental earlier. You're the priest if you walk by. You're the guy you've always told people not to be. And then that afternoon, I 
was listening to something Andy had done. And he made a, a he quoted Dr. King, and he said, "In the end, people will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends." And that that one hit me right between the eyes. And Anne will tell you, I've been a restless soul all weekend. Um, and I want to tell you guys, for those times that I've walked by and been silent, I'm sorry. For those of you that are watching that have thought silence meant implied intent and consent, man, I, that's not who we are. So it makes the question be, what's it going to take? I mean, this place is a mess. It is a mess. And COVID's a great illustration, Ernest, because you can't see the physical manifestation. You could be a carrier of it, not even know it. And that's the hard thing about prejudice and racism is it, it lies at a deep spot within us that it doesn't always manifest itself. What's the fix from y'all's vantage point, from you guys as men, as leaders, as husbands, as dads, as a coach who leads so many young men, what's the fix that we can be the Samaritan in the story to stop and do the right thing? Well, from y'all's vantage point, what would you say? Um, it's funny you asked this question because I actually asked this question. I called my old coach last night. His name is George Bryan. He, he was the um, president of Bryan Foods and then eventually went on to become the CEO of Sara Lee. And one unique thing about where I grew up in Mississippi and West Point was we didn't have the racial tensions and issues that so much of Mississippi had. And I thought about that last night, and I called Coach Brian. I hadn't talked to him in years. I said, Coach, help me to understand how we in West Point didn't deal with a lot of the other issues that the cities around us were dealing with. And this is the fix, Mike. George Bryant said, Ernest, we didn't tolerate it. He says, I met with a bunch of the other white leaders and ministers in our city of West Point, and we made an intentional decision that racism was not going to raise its ugly head in West Point because we knew what was going on in Mississippi. He says, we didn't tolerate it. He says, when I went on to become president of Sara Lee, we didn't tolerate it there. He says, the first thing I changed was I went in the boardroom and said, we have to have a boardroom that looks like America, and we have to go find black people to be on this board. He said, I was very intentional about that. And I said, well, where did that come from? He says, my mom. My mom was a woman of faith. He said, and she was just as radical. She taught us to be radical and intentional about it. He says, I'll give you an example. He said, my mom refused to get up on stage to get her diploma because the governor was racist. She wanted to make that statement that she will not accept a diploma from a racist man. He said, she made us leave the church and start another church because our pastor didn't want to integrate the church. I think the fix is, is God is calling his people to be bold, mm. to say, no matter where you are, if it's in your classroom, if it's on your job, if it's in your boardroom, if it's on your beat as a police officer, not on my watch. Mm. I'm, I know racism exists. So I'm going to contain it and quarantine it as best as I can by making sure it does not happen on my watch. And that is an intentional, active act, not a passive act. Mm. And, and you have to be intentional. Uh, 
Pastor. Um, in our society, uh, you know, most black men, uh, we want the same thing as white men. We want life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And um, we see that our life has been taken from us. Um, we see that our liberties have been violated. And then we're not getting the fair pursuit of happiness. And that's what we want. And, and the fix is for you and other men of this world that are leaders and powerful to speak out, but also to not just let this pass over in a week or two because tomorrow this is going to happen again. In a week it's going to happen again. It's not going to be videoed. And then are we doing anything to continue to progress and make this better for our country and for our world? And so you've got to be intentional that you're going to continue what you're doing right now. Uh, God has called you out on it now, and he's, and he's putting your heart to do something. Continue doing what you're doing um, because we know this is not easy. I already know it's not easy. It's not easy for any of us. So um, that's, that's one of the fixes. We need, we need our, our, our white men to stand beside us and continue to, to speak on this and, and take up for us and help us during this time. That's good. I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to go away. I think it might change on who it is. It might be okay to be racist toward Hispanic or toward an Asian or whatever. And it's the, the racial divide has been around since the beginning of time biblically. Jew, Gentile, there is no greater racial conflict than Jews and Gentiles in the Middle East right. conflict. And the root of it is it's our sp- sinful hearts. Jesus is talking to a bunch of conservative religious people, and they're talking about murderers. He's like, oh, you, you ever hate anyone in your heart? He's like, you're guilty. And so for me, it's... It's some ownership. Everybody, right now, everyone's blaming everybody. Oh, it's their fault that they're the police. It's their fault that they're looting. It's their fault that blacks, it's their fault that whites, as opposed to starting with, what about the plank in my eye? What about my heart? Um, I, I think when we take some ownership and go, yeah, I probably have some subtle you know, biases, prejudices, stereotypes in my heart. I'm just smart enough to hide it and not let people record it on camera. You know, but spiritually going men people need Christ Mm. Jesus was like you have a sinful heart you were born with one I came to die for that sinful heart and to put the love of Christ so you can love a Gentile you can love a Jew you can love a white you can love an Asian you can love a Hispanic you can love a black man because of Christ in me and it's way bigger than this black white political conversation in my opinion yep like what were you saying just a minute ago I'm gonna build my heart upon his love and my life on his love like if Everyone we've seen on TV the last couple weeks was building our life on God's love. We wouldn't be seeing what we're seeing on TV. And and one last thing, like I I read a local police chief say last night, his heart was moved. It wasn't just about policy. He said, that guy diminished the badge. And there's some guys who wear that with honor. And so for a guy to stand up and go, well, we're going to change policies and do some racial sensitivity training. We're going to, is one thing. But for a guy to go up and go, that greed my heart. Mm. And what it did to who I am as an officer, what it did to black people and white people into our nation and a passionate ownership that leads the conversation. Yeah, I, I love that illustration too, Larry, because it's not a, it's not a, it's not a police issue. That's not, your, your brother-in-law's chief of police, yes, Burke County. This is a heart issue. You know, Andy, Andy made a statement, and, and the statement was, um, the further we are from a problem, the more simple it looks, and the closer we are to a problem, the more complex it is. And, and as we all walk into this, it's not an easy solve, you know? 
God, for whatever reason, laid each of you on my heart. I know a lot of people, but you three were light shining. In fact, I called my son, Casey, and, and Casey, we, we were talking about it. And uh, same people he laid on his heart. If you had one word for people that are watching today, what would your word be, Coach Zoff? My word is uh, that I'm a man, that I love Christ, uh, that I've raised my children to love Christ. I raised my children to help mankind. I raised my children that they are put on this earth to serve others. Uh, so as you see a, a black man, I'm a, I'm a black man that lives in America. I'm American. I'm not African. I'm not. I don't, I don't know anything about Africa. I know about being in America. Um, and once again, I, I want the same thing that you want. I want to be happy. I want to take care of my family. Uh, I want to I retire uh, soon, hopefully, <laughs> um, and live a good life. Uh, and I want to bless people. And, you know, the Bible, there's over 100 verses in the Bible speaking on love thy neighbor. So Jesus Christ knew that this was going to be a problem. That's amazing that he knew back then, 2,000 years ago, that this was going to be a problem now. That's why he referenced it over 100 times to love thy neighbor. And so if we, if we can't soften our hearts because our hearts are that hardened, then this is never going to change because the word says to love that neighbor. And so that's why I raise my kids, that you better, no matter how successful you are in life, you better love other people, you better bless other people. And that's what I teach my kids. And, and that's who I am. Um, that's why I was put here. Mr. Ernest? The word that I would um, want to give to everyone is imagine if Christ came and sat down beside you and said to you, so what are you going to do? Mm. Because I think that's what Christ is saying to each and every one of us. There's a piece of this that we can own in affecting and infecting the change through love. And I would just ask every person, every believer, to spend some time asking God, so now that I've heard, now that I see, what is it that you want me to do? And God, please give me the courage to do it. Mm. Here's, he said one thing. This is the I'm going to get. We're not tokens. Mm -hmm. I've been your friend for 20 years. You live this out, even if you haven't said anything about it. Mm. We're just saying something about it. But you live it out. My parents used to lecture before spanking. The lecture sometimes worse than the spanking. Like, just spank me. Get up the lecture. My dad taught me, man, you love God, you love people, and you love yourself. And two wrongs don't make a right. Um, I'm trying to teach my kids that. One word, I'd say what Jesus said. Who's my neighbor? I think if all of us went home tonight and prayed, God, who's my neighbor? Is a police officer who does bad things my neighbor? Yeah, probably. Is a black guy who does bad things my neighbor? Yeah, probably. Now that I'm aware of it, I have accountability. Like, who's my neighbor, God, and how should I respond to them? Mm. Number one, y'all honor me today with your presence. And I know as, as hard as it may be for me, it isn't easy for you because, um, you know, some people may say, well, I can't believe you had that conversation with him. You know, I get that. I, I love this, this quote by Dr. King. He, he said, people fail to get along because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they have not communicated 
with each other. You know, you, you get down to the end of the day and people are people and hearts are hearts and lives are lives. I want you guys to know, and I want you to know, North Star is a, when we say we want this place to feel like home, it's home for everybody, regardless of skin color or economic level or whatever divide there may be. We want this place when you walk through these doors, when they're open again, when you walk through these doors, you go, I'm safe there. Like home always feels safe. Thank you for being part of the solution. We can't change America, but we can change our neighborhood. I can change my street. I can change my influence. Some of us look in our hearts today and we don't like what we see. Good, change it. Jesus knew something about that guy's heart. That's why he asked the question. And I don't know what was going on, but I'm glad I wasn't one of his illustrations because he knew something. He knew something about the guy's heart. And he asked him the question because he made him look inside of his heart. I don't know what's going to go on everywhere else, but here we want to be part of the solution. And that's not going to happen outside the church. The church, it's the only place in the world where God teaches people to remember that people are created in his image. And um, we got to love more than words. We got to love with our lives. Larry, as we wrap up today, would you mind closing us in a word of prayer and praying over this time and leading us through this time? Let's pray. God, we start with uh, praising you as creator. Uh, We're just dirt that you breathed into and given life. We have nothing that you haven't given us. Any privilege, any blessing, God, it all comes from you. And we say thank you. God, I pray that you would help us to uh, leave this place, not just having a conversation, but having listened to your spirit and said, God, um, God, speak to me. God, who, who's my neighbor? What can I do? Father, I pray as a church, it'd be really clear that we don't stand on politics or race. We stand on God's word and God made everybody that lives in our community and we have a responsibility that we own to love them and sometimes we do better than others. But God, by your grace, by your power, would you help us to be ambassadors of your love in our community in this season? God, would you help us as moms and dads teach our kids what it is to respect and love and value others? Would you help us teach our kids what it means to make a difference when you see somebody laying in a ditch? God, would you help us to have hard conversations when we had hard conversations? Would you help us to give where we see a need? And at the end of the day, God, we, we don't wanna be known, I don't wanna be known as a political leader or a racial leader. I wanna be known as a follower of Christ that causes other people mm. to wanna know you. God, I pray as a result of what we've done in this place today, there's people who will watch and go, man, if that's what Christ is about and he helps with this stuff, I want to know him. God, I pray even now if somebody's watching, they don't know you, they'd cry out to you, God, I got a sinful heart. I need your mercy. I need to be changed. 
And God, we walk this walk together as we disciple each other and grow each other. Thank you for being patient with us, God. Thank you for finishing what you started. Thank you for godly men in my life who are black, who are white, who are Hispanic, who are Asian. Thank you for just raising godly leaders who encourage me. Lord, thanks for loving us tangibly through each other. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My challenge for you this week, have a conversation. Our good friend Kit Cumming, who goes here to North Star, says this, you can't hate somebody when you know their story. You just can't. It's impossible. Find out somebody's story this week, and let's start changing this world one life at a time.